1: Interesting, thoughtful, deep, etc., etc., etc. Episode of FNO InsureTech. I am Rob Beller, one Hi, of Rob. your two hosts. Yep. One that you can count on almost every week, except when I'm not here.
2: That's right. That's right. Which hadn't happened in a while. No, no,
1: I'm on a roll.
2: You I'm are on a roll. roll. Or, or did we actually, you know, you started telling us when your vacations were, and Alicia stopped scheduling them when you were gone. Maybe, so we maybe thank that's you for for giving us access to to your mm. calendar.
1: Sure, pleasure. And let me introduce my co-host, mm-hmm. Mr. Lee Boyd.
2: Hi, everybody. Thank you. Please hold the applause. <laughs> I don't hear any. It was there. Well, they're in their car. They're in their is car. It- you
1: see. Is that what or it is? Or at their home. I don't know. Do you
2: think people listen to this when they're in their car? Is that? I think they're think on they're... the train. I think when they're uh, driving, if anybody actually drives to work. I think when they're walking on the treadmill. Uh, I think uh-huh. all those are podcast times. Uh-huh.
1: How about in their sleep? Do you think anybody listens to it in their maybe, sleep?
2: Maybe, maybe soaking in a nice warm bath. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't May- know.
1: Maybe. I, I think Astrid, maybe with a does bath bomb. Astrid does it with a glass of wine.
2: A glass of wine, feed uh-huh. up i mean mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of different times that you could listen to a podcast hmm
1: hmm you know when I listen to f n o and sure tech never <laughs> no, I listen to every episode before it goes out. Do you want to know when I listen to f n o and sure tech?
2: I do. I think it's on a treadmill
1: it, i was, it's when I work out okay. that's when I listen to it.
2: I used to, but then I got distracted and, and so I stopped. I normally listen to it in the car and um on the on that long drive home every day.
1: None of that has anything to do with our guest
2: today. <laughs> not a thing, not None. A thing. Sorry, Andrew. Sorry, Andrew. We have
1: a luminary with us today. Now that I think about it, we are in the luminary phase of FNO and o InsureTech podcast. The season,
2: mind you, the season. Yeah.
1: We're doing an season arc, of luminary. A luminary arc. We have a VC luminary yeah. on with us today. Andrew Lerner is a pioneer in the industry, been in investing in insurtech for a very long time, fintech and insurtech, since like the 90s, right?
2: Many, many years. Before insurtech was a thing.
1: Before there was even a word. He's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And, We've had a lot of those on. Uh, and and he's with us today.
2: Yeah, he's from IA Capital Group. And he's going to come on today. We're going to get to ask him, you know, what does he look for in, in companies? What What's the mindset? What does IA Capital do uh, we're going to get to talk to him about all sorts of things, so I'm I'm excited. I'm excited,
1: including chess.
2: Yeah, the guy's yeah. like
1: a chess champion.
2: Yeah, we're we're going to play one day. You and not me. I'm going to watch you and, and him. Think, will, will play.
1: I think the world of venture capital probably has a lot to do with chess and You've playing chess think. well, right? Well, you know, making we might the even right ask moves.
2: Him. We might even ask them. Yeah, we might ask about that.
1: Well, if you're wondering if we're going to then you're just going to have to listen to the rest of the podcast. And so we're going to stop our jibber-jabber and Shabber move jabber. right to it. Without further ado, here is our interview with Andrew Lerner from IACAP. Hey, everybody. We're here with a luminary in the insure tech industry. And I, o- I only say that because he's been insure tech investing since before there was insure tech. Long time. Yeah. What did you call it back then, Andy? Insurance technology. Insurance technology. Wow. And somebody came up and said, you know what? We can say that faster by taking a couple of letters out. Exactly. We have Andy Lerner with us, managing partner at IA Capital Group. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for coming. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Glad you're here. It's great to have you. And where are you today? We have to say this since uh, we're recording this in winter when there's this horrendous winter storm going on. And we're on video, and we're looking at Andy, and the room he's in is super bright and light because you are where?
0: San Diego, La Jolla, California. And or, yeah, it's pre- pretty uh, pretty rough avoiding the bad weather. Our offices are in in, in New York in, on 42nd Street, but I am uh, uh, avoiding all that uh, this week in California. That's very sure. smart.
1: Very smart to do. Very smart. I'm in California, and it's freezing cold where I am. Mm-hmm. And you're in California. It's not freezing cold, right? Yeah.
0: No, it's beautiful weather today in
1: San Diego. Okay, so we're going to talk all about your company, some about you and some other stuff, but we have to start with the most interesting thing about you, if I can say so myself, and that's the Andrew Lerner Award. Can you tell us what that is?
0: In the chess world, if that's what you're uh, referring to, Rob. Yes, sir. I'm a lifelong chess player, won some national championships when I was a kid, and it really made a difference in my life. So now as as an adult... I want to give back to chess educators and chess volunteers. So through Chess in the Schools, an organization where I'm a nonprofit, where I'm a a trustee, we set up the Andy Lerner Award for volunteers or people that work in underprivileged communities to teach chess. So it's just a way of me giving back to something that made a big difference in my life. That's that's, phenomenal. That's really cool. Is chess big today? Pandemic, it got really big. I just read that this chess.com, the biggest online platform uh, a 100 million users. That's a, a lot of people. Wow, yeah. that's a lot of people. Yeah.
2: We actually we actually pulled out the uh, chess board. That was maybe two weeks ago. Me and my son. My son learned chess in, in school. He was in classes, and that's what they taught uh, in one of the classes was chess. So we actually pulled it out just a couple of weeks ago. And for the first time, I mean, he, he just beat my socks off. And I didn't have to pretend or anything, but it was, it was really fun. It was really fun to get that back out and play.
0: It's been great for me. Um, I play a little bit still. I'm a chess master play on the, on the internet, but um, yeah, lifelong passion. You play competitively? I don't play. I, guess, I guess it's competitive. Plenty, but I play fairly often on the internet. So we might not have
1: mentioned that part of the price of doing our podcast is, <laughs> is giving us t- uh, chess tutoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but we won't bother our audience with that. We'll cover that offline.
0: Yeah, that'll be after. There's a big cheating scandal going on in the the world of professional chess where some 19-year-old beat the world champion and he got accused of cheating. And it's just a huge, huge story. Do you have an opinion on that? Do you think that he was a cheater? I think in that particular game, he probably won it legitimately, but I, I... You know, I think his whole character is being called into question, and that I I don't know him personally, but I I think he won that game fair and square, is my Uh, personal opinion. uh, Uh, I did watch The Queen's Gambit.
1: There you go. That's as close as I'll ever get.
0: Yeah, very, very popular sport. And the uh, game, I should say, it's a very popular game, and there's a lot of overlap between, I think, technology technology world and chess a lot of technologists are, are chess players and vice versa what what got me interested
1: in when I read that about you <clears throat> is that connection between the two can you talk about that for a second
0: yeah I just think it's just a quantitative uh, my I, I was a computer science major in college I was in you know uh, school of engineering at Princeton and uh, just a you know, a high level of correlation between interest in technology, numbers, quantitative fields, math and, and chess. So it, it's all related. Of course, my son, who's a mathematician, wants nothing to do with chess, right? Probably because <laughs> I'm a chess player. Oh, <laughs> well, really? He didn't grow up with the uh, intent of uh,
1: showing no. his, teaching his dad a lesson?
0: No, he's a, he's a quant, um, but not a, not a chess player.
2: I mean, isn't that isn't that chess, right? You're always thinking two, three, maybe four steps down the road. And whenever you're investing in a company, that's what you have to do. You have to think not today, but you have to think four or five steps down the road. Where where are they going to go? Where can I take them and how will it influence others? Isn't that right?
0: That's exactly right. And it's you know, investing is part art and part science. And I I think, you know, chess is, you know, it's, it's figuring out the moves and anticipation, but as some of it's, you know, creativity and you know, it's, it's not, it's not all about the numbers. What about luck? Is there luck in it too? Sure. There's luck in everything. And I've, I've been fortunate to have some uh, investments where I think we did a good job, my firm investing, but also, you know, fortunate to, you know, it's good to be lucky too. That's true. Right. I mean, you, could have been killing it in an
1: investment pre-COVID, but something that was sensitive to COVID could have destroyed it.
0: Yeah, that's I think that a lot of that happened, and vice versa. A lot of businesses that didn't take off, you know, took off uh, because of COVID. And you know, we invest in not only P and C tech, but life insure tech, health insur tech, and our life insurer in- investors they were not comfortable with with online underwriting. But then, when COVID uh, came along, and you weren't going to send a technician to somebody's house to get blood and urine samples, all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, we love online uh, underwriting," and and they accelerated. Either, you had a five year plan to do it, and they accelerated that into six six weeks, and and did it. Yeah. Did you see that
1: from your perch about COVID in general? That it was an accelerator for the space.
0: Huge, huge. These insurance companies that have long time frames really accelerated everything and you can see that in in the stock market and in valuations companies that had digital solutions just took off in in valuation during during 2020 and and business models that relied on face-to-face interaction you know went went the other way so let's let's talk about ia capital group sure
1: um Give us give us a minute on what it is your your history because and I don't always ask companies for their history because sometimes companies histories are about twenty minutes they started fifteen minutes before they were on the podcast but but that's not the case with IA Capital Group so so share, share that with us
0: yeah we've been around a real long time so I I, I will I could take up five podcasts on the, on the history we've been around since the nineties IA stands for Inter Atlantic. Sometimes you'll see our investments under the Inter-Atlantic name. It's the same firm. Inter- Inter-Atlantic's a play on New York, London, Bermuda are the insurance capitals. They're all in the Atlantic uh, region. So IA, uh, we think, is a, you know, a, a fitting name for a firm that focuses on insurance and insurance technology. Large majority of our investors are insurance companies. In our funds, we have 20 different insurance companies predominantly U.S.-based uh, insurance companies that invest with us. And we're now investing our ninth fund, 22 years of venture capital investing. We're the longest, tenured, most experienced investor in insure tech. Uh, no, nobody else in insure tech has, you know, over 20-year uh, investment experience. We focus on U.S.-Canada-based companies, predominantly Series A is our... Sweet Spot, which some of your listeners might not know, that's usually a company with a few million dollars of revenue, but still a long way from being a public company or being sold five years or or more, perhaps. We have over 30 investments in insure tech. We also do some fintech. Um, Over our history, we've made 57 venture investments. And then in addition, we see a great company. We we uh, seed it and and help start it ourselves. So some some prominent names in insure tech like Boost Insurance are ones that we've actually seeded um, and uh, incubated ourselves. Right. So, I saw that that you guys call that um,
1: incubated uh, investments right. or what whatnot. Right. So so if getting involved in Series A, does that mean you like to get in there? You like to get in there relatively early. When you can because you like to be a very involved investor or investors, you like to help shape the future.
0: We like to help, but we don't want to step on the toes of the management team. It's their show. We're not getting involved in the day-to-day operations of, of company, but we we do feel like we can be very helpful. Um, you know, we're very well connected in the insurance industry. Maybe one of our twenty Investors could be a customer of the startup or, you know, a product manufacturer for a a company that's a a distribution company. We really value strategic venture capital where we connect the the startups with the incumbents, the insurance companies. Uh, Series A is great because companies already have revenues. They already have customers. We can diligence the customers. We can learn about the companies. So it's, it's, it's not a pure startup that's just on the drawing board that's very hard to diligence and that's really our expertise is is in the industry but series a we can invest also invest at a low enough valuation company doesn't need to be a unicorn a billion dollar valuation for us to do very well right if we if we invest in a company at a 30 million dollar valuation and it and it's sold at 300 we've made 10 times our money you know the, that those kind of exits are much more common than than you know companies that do ipos at billions of dollars of valuation, right, right, right. although we've had some of those and been very fortunate.
2: Yeah, that's very nice. How big of a, of a company is IA Capital Group? How many in employees do do you have and how many offices?
0: We just have, we do everything out of New York, but we invest, you know, throughout U.S. and Canada. Um, our core team is seven people, and then we have another five that are advisory partners. So there's 12 of us in total. And last year, we made fourteen investments, seven brand new investments and seven follow on investments in companies that we had previously invested in. So, you know, it's a, we're well, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot, but it's not huge either. We look at about 200 companies sure. for every one we invest in. So I have to tell you the, the zoom, uh, the zoom economy has been very helpful for that because, you know, it's, it's cut down, Meeting uh, you know, 1,000, 2,000 companies a year across our team, it's been much more efficient to do a first meeting in Zoom than in person.
1: How many of those meetings, and there's a couple different questions I want to ask you here, how many of those meetings do you attend? Me personally. Yeah, those first intro meetings.
0: I, I do fewer of the first meetings, and, and my team will vet the first meeting, and then if it gets past my team member, then... Myself and my, my partners, Rick Vitone and, and Matt Proman, and I are the three members of the investment committee. So we'll, we'll get the investment committee involved. But mm-hmm. every, every day somebody approaches me and says, hey, Andy, look at this startup. So I do plenty of first meetings too, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not infinitely scalable. That's what the team is, is there for.
1: Is there really that much going on that your company can see that many startups in a year? That's a stunning number.
0: I think a fair amount are not quite ready for Series A, but we like to meet them. So if they're a seed company, maybe they have a half a million dollars of revenue. They're not, you know, they're not at the one to two million dollar minimum that we like. Um, we like to meet them, get to know them, and then if they're a good company, they'll grow into that revenue number, and then we'll we'll have a leg up to to invest in them. So we'll we'll meet with uh, you know promising companies. Founders that that we consider, you know, have a have a bright future, um, even if it's too small for us currently.
1: You know, one of the things that we don't usually talk about when we have a VC on is it's a pretty competitive business, right? Yeah. There's there's lots there's there's lots of inventory, but there's probably not lots of really intriguing inventory. How do you
0: compete in that world? We compete, but we're also collaborative, right? So a, a, a successful startup can have many different. Investors. Nationwide Ventures is the entity we've invested with most, uh, co-invested with. Um, so we've we've had five different uh, investments with Nationwide, and then there are plenty of other insurance companies or other VCs. We've had three or four different investments. So it, it's collaborative. But you know that a mediocre startup will take money from anybody. The highest quality startups, you really do have to compete and convince them to take your money. So. That's why our strategic venture capital uh, model comes in. So we say you could take money from, and you've, you've had strategic venture capital, uh, you know, there's people we respect a lot, Liberty Mutual Ventures, for example. We respect them a lot. You take money from Liberty Mutual Ventures, you're connected into Liberty Mutual. You take money from us, you're connected into 20 different insurance companies. So we think that's a superior model.
1: That has to be intriguing. You, you said something earlier that, Um, I'm very interested in, I had a professor that used to talk about this, um, when I got my MBA and that was how much of success is art and how much is science. And, uh, I would think that, that the art is the more important piece Mm. when you're making these decisions, not to minimize, uh, the, the, the numbers Mm. and the analysis, Mm. which is of course critical. Right. But there's lots of people. It seems to me there's many qualified people that can do the that can run the numbers, right? But the art is a far smaller number.
0: I agree with that. You know, every venture firm has a different approach, a different philosophy. We don't try to time the market. Uh, you know, so much of insurance you talk about—it's a hard market, it's a soft market for pricing. We don't really look at that that much because we're going to hold these companies for 5 years what matters is what's the market going to be like 5 years from now when it's ready to monetize and who knows what it's going to be like like we look for long-term trends so people buying insurance through digital channels is a long-term trend and people buying it at the country club through a personal friend that that's you know that's happening less and less each year and 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 digital distribution is is increasing in market share every year so that's an example of long-term trend you know, we also invest in fintech and people you know making purchases with cash that's going down each year and using electronic means to you know buy something uh, you know whether it's PayPal Venmo or something that those are long-term secular trends that we just like to uh, we believe in and we like to in- invest in so that's that's just part of our part of our philosophy so we do look for investments you know in particular in areas that were that we're focused on. I'll give you one example uh, of a company we we inv- a company called Matic. It is a digital personal lines distribution company. So they sell homeowners insurance, auto insurance, etc. Instead of getting their customers through ads like on Google Ads, Facebook Ads, they they team up with uh, big financial institutions, mortgage companies, and get their leads that way. So it's a B to B to B to C model, but we think it makes a lot of sense. Um, It's, it's sustainable. They have these valuable partnerships and it's, you know, any, anybody can pay up for a lead, but if you, if you have, you know, large banks and others as, as partners, we think that's a superior way to originate insurance. So it's just an example of what we look for. Are they an MGA? They are not. They work with over 40 different insurance companies. Oh, wow. We have a lot of different guests on
2: in different stages of the insure tech world, we have technology companies mm-hmm. who are in insurance and then we have insurance companies who do technology, right? right. And right. what are you looking for? Are, are you drawn more to the technology that has a space in insurance or are you more interested in those who have this deep insurance knowledge or insurance base that also have a technology?
0: We definitely invest in both. Uh, you know, some of our CEOs, entrepreneurs, they come from insurance background, but they, they, they know technology and some are the reverse. Some are, you know, technology geeks that, that have focused on insurance because they think it's an industry that's very ripe for disruption. Um, It's important to us that the manage, some people on the management team have very deep knowledge of insurance. So if the CEO is a, is a, Career tech person, we'd like the number two person to be from the insurance industry, for example. There's just so much regulatory compliance, uh, specialized knowledge that that, that you need. Um, but we do like disruptors, right? We we want companies that are unique, business plans that we haven't seen before, people that really want to shake up the whole industry. Um, but on the same, by the same token, we're not a deep-pocketed investor. You know, five million dollar investment be. A lot for us, or typical for us, we're three to five million, maybe check size on investment. So we want people that can change the world, but they don't need a hundred million dollars of capital to uh, to do it. So what draws you? What drew you to a company like Bolt? Bolt was our first uh, pure insure tech investment, two thousand and six. That's a long, long time. That's a long time. time. So that's a prior. the, The the Bolt today is Bolt Tech, right? So this is like Bolt. Version 1.0, which uh, eventually became, I, I guess, the U.S. operation of, of Bolt Tech. So I can't really speak too well to the company today. But yeah, Bolt was early, in, early in insurance uh, technology, you know, technology out of Israel, and we, we were we were impressed by it. They're doing doing things that other people weren't doing in applying you know, modern technology like cloud computing. Big data to the to the industry, and uh, you know we we thought it was a, a great investment. But I, Bolt eventually got it got acquired by this private equity firm in Asia that turned it into Bolt Tech. So we're not part of the current iteration. I don't want to you uh-huh. know claim that we are. Uh uh-huh.
1: huh. How about Flyreel? What was what was intriguing there? Yeah, cold of course they've, they've they've of course exited this this right. like just in the past twelve months, right?
0: We sold it, uh, the company was sold to LexisNexis and we had a nice outcome on that. Flyreel is uh, for property, really for homeowners. You uh, do it underwriting and claims. Um, so it has a, an app where you can take your phone and uh, walk through your house and it, it guides you. And instead of an inspector coming to your house, you can do it all through through the app. And I, and I did it on my home and walk through it and it was very valuable. And I, I you know, I said, this is a great, and it's not just me who makes a decision race, my whole team, but we all decided flyreel was is a great technology. We have a whole record of it. You take, you know, if you take your, for example, you take snap a barcode of your refrigerator, like if my house burnt down, I couldn't tell you what model refrigerator I had or something like that, but now it's all recorded you know, digitally. So um, we thought it makes, makes perfect sense. It's so much easier than inspector coming and fly real is successful. But one challenge startups have is they're selling one product at a time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's so much easier for, for a company like Lexus. Nexus has a whole suite of insurance related products. They can sell 20 products at, at one time. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense for it to fit, fit into uh, the, the larger suite of, of products that they have.
2: Have you ever had somebody exit? Some somebody you invested in exit and then come back to be reinvested in?
0: We have one entrepreneurs that we've invested in twice. It's a it's on our fintech side, not our insurance tech side. But if you have a second, it's really an incredible story. Please, so, please. Sosa Brothers, from Mexican immigrants from Texas, in Austin, Texas, started one of the first prepaid card companies ever called NetSpend. So you go to 7-Eleven or Walmart, you buy a, a Visa MasterCard that's already you know, preloaded on it. So they NetSpend took off. And these guys uh, from a company with nothing, we invested in them. We were the largest investor in NetSpend. Eventually the company went public in 2001 and was sold for over a billion dollars. But meanwhile, those Sosa brothers had a parting of the ways with the owners, the majority owners or the large owners of the company. That wasn't us. Um, So they were kind of out of the company by the time it went public. So lo and behold, a giant global payments company, Global Payments owns Netspend today, put it up for sale. And these Sosa brothers who were backing their, their next payments company, Rev Worldwide, Rev is a small company, said, hey, let's buy a net spend for a billion dollars. And I'm like, well, you don't have a billion dollars. You don't have anything <laughs> close. How are you going to do that? They managed to get private equity money and a uh, debt. And these two brothers bought back their company for their company that they started for a billion dollars this year. It's an incredible story. Oh
1: my yeah. gosh, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And, yeah. and how, how goes it?
0: That's just, this is just a brand new they have a lot of work ahead of them. They have to run this, you know, this giant company now and in, integrated and 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 manage in the future. So, you know, I'll come back in a few years and report on on how on how, how it's going, but uh, you know, to to have uh left a company under not the best terms and then to go back and buy it back, it's really incredible. So, can you share I mean, I'm
1: I'm sure, you know, because of the amount of time that you've spent in the space, you have all kinds of great stories. Yeah. Can you share I'm interested, and I know that you've probably been asked this question so many times, yeah. so I'm, I'm trying to put a little bit of a different spin on it, you know, and that is how things have changed. Um, you know, the, InsureTech in 2010 looks different than InsureTech in 2022. Um, can you share an interesting story from the past about that would, that would illuminate what, what you used to be able to do then that sh- that that it's just different today?
0: I think more dollars have have rushed into the industry and in venture capital too. I think that we started an insurance company called Homeowners of America with only five million dollars of, of paid in capital. We sold it last year for a hundred million. so the, the five turned into a hundred is a great investment for us. But in the meantime, you can't start an insure an actual insurance company with f- for $5 million anymore. You know, if you want to get a, a, an A rating, for example, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So I think that the barrier to entry in terms of capital has gone up. If you're a direct to consumer company and you want to advertise nationwide, whether you're FinTech or InsurTech, that's a lot of money. And I think that's part of the reason these consumer-facing public-insured tech companies like Lemonade or Oscar Health have not done well because they require a ton of money to, to acquire customers. So they're significantly unprofitable. And now in this marketplace in 2022, profitability is, is more important than than revenue growth. And they're, they're trading, both of those companies are down, you know, 80, 90% from their from their peaks, it's like a bloodbath for for a lot of these uh, public yeah. companies, especially the ones that are direct to consumer. And you know, the whole industry is 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 thinking about, like like about that. We've been very fortunate; we don't have any public insured tax or any public companies in our in our funds. The the you know, we had a fintech company, Marketo, went public last year, and we distributed all the stock out to investors last year. So we started the year with no public exposure, which was really. Great for us. It's a tough time out there, so I think what happened is over the last ten years. To answer your question, it required a lot more money to get a company going to be a leader, and now the market says, "Well, that's great. You, you know, you started a hippo or a lemonade with hundreds of millions of dollars, but now all I care about is profit is profitability." And these companies are being valued at a lot less than all the money that has been paid into the. Company, so investors are, are looking at, at losses. Uh, we never really believed that, you know, putting hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, an insured tech is, is the right strategy. We always thought the best companies don't need to be insurance carriers. They can be service providers, brokers, agents in, in, the, in the industry and don't need the huge capital bases. But the price to entry to really compete at, at especially the carriers, has really gone up o- over the years, and I, and I don't think it's served the the industry very well. So I'm hoping the next category killers in insure tech are, are you know data analytics, AI, um, claims technology, underwriting te- technology companies that don't need hundreds of million dollars as for a capital base. They can just be more service provider companies. Can change the world in insurance, but you know on a, on a more uh, cost effective way. Can these companies
2: come back, your lemonade, your hippos? I mean, is there a path for that they come back and that they and that they start regaining, you know, market value?
0: I personally think that if you bought, and I'm not trying to give investment advice at all, right? I right. invest in private right. companies. But if you bought like a a, a basket of, of all these public fintech and tech companies at these low valuations, you'll probably do very well over the next five years. Some, some will go up, um, some more than others, but will they get, will they get back to where they were? That's, that's a very, that's a very high bar. Something's down 90% has to, you know, be 10 X, uh, appreciation to get back to where it was. That That's very hard. But I think, you know, yeah. I, I personally think that they're oversold. Is there a market
2: where somebody, where one of these larger long-term companies comes in and And buys these companies? I mean, can that be done? Incumbents. Yeah. Incumbents, right? Like a giant incumbent. Could it come in and say, Hey, we love your technology. We love where you're going. We can make you profitable. Let's just suck you up.
0: I think it can, I think it can happen, but you know, if you're a $10 IPO, like these SPACs were, Mm -hmm. I know, I know like Root and Hippo had these reverse stock splits, but you know, their $10 stock is, is, you know, can be like, 50 cents today, right? If it it didn't split, if it didn't do the reverse split. So what's, what's, what's somebody going to offer if they offer a hundred percent premium, that's, they're paying a dollar on something that went public at $10. That's just hard. It's hard for the companies to agree to, you know, it's it's, it's hard for, it's hard for buyers and sellers to find a fair price um, when something's, down so far like that it could happen though it could and yeah buyers
2: thinking hey this is a great deal but the seller's like no i can't right i can't we're we're at five billion dollar you know market value yeah
0: the better answer is these companies need to get to profitability as quickly as they can and
2: And that's what they're focused on right everything you read is profitability it all it all changed from growth 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 to profitability profitability right and like why why did that happen? Was there a memo that went out and said, we don't care about growth, we just want you profitable? Like it all of a sudden it, it changed. What what happened?
0: I think that part of the fault is with investors and, and not investors that write five million dollar checks like my myself. It's the investors that write the hundred million dollar checks. They're like, oh, we can invest in a pre-IPO company and it'll go public in one year and we'll double our money. Those guys have all gone away. That's not a good model. So I think that too many of these CEOs were just listening to the investors and and saying, oh, this is what you need to do. You could raise a lot of money. You can go public. Instead of they should have just been focused on the operate, you know, the profitability of the business.
1: So this kind of leads into the conversation of uh, InsureTech 2.0, which it's funny, you know, you hear that term kicked around and you ask different people, people who are deeply involved in it like yourself, and you get different. You yeah, get different answers. What is insuretech 2.0? What does it mean? So it means different things to different people. It's defined differently. There's no standard definition. However, as insuretech continues down the road, things are clear. As we were just talking, things are clearly changing. What was sexy yeah. two, three years ago is not so sexy anymore. What's sexy now? What's what yeah. does 2.0 hold for us? If, like you said, the financial pressures are forcing certain uh, s- certain companies to rise or enabling and passing on other ones who don't fit into the current state of the world.
0: You know, I think it's models like embedded insurance are are, are the future. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. So if you think about it, the big insurance carriers, all state or Prudential, they're not going away. They're, they're still going to be writing most of the business, even 5, 10 years from now. And the biggest um, distribution companies, the consumer-facing companies, those are really tech firms. There's nobody out there that can reach more consumers than Google, Facebook, Amazon, for example. Um, And, you know, we think over time they're going to be selling insurance, personalized insurance. Um, So what we want to invest in is the connectivity between the two. Who's gonna gonna connect the the all-states with the Amazons? They're gonna need that's a lot of technology that's gonna need to be built. It's gonna need to be very specialized. It's gonna be companies that understand the regulatory compliance areas. And, And a lot of that is just embedded insurance. So embedded insurance would be embedded, you know, an insurance offering that's embedded in a website that that maybe you don't think of as selling insurance right so you go to american I like Air- travel like travel insurance yeah, exactly as you say american airlines you buy travel insurance but why? why wouldn't every you know over time every consumer facing website you know offer some type of a, insurance is related to just about it you know every uh, aspect of commerce so mm-hmm. we we think that we think that's a big you know maybe the biggest 2.0 trend uh, uh, out, out there so we're spending a lot of time um, investing in that area, that area. An investment we made this year is a company called Efficiency. They focus on the life insurance side, but they're thats their whole model—is to build the technology between the distributors, which don't have to be traditional insurance distributors. It could be, you know, a, a, a fintech website and and the life insurers. So you know, it's, it's their it's their technology that can link those those parties together. So that's that's one of our biggest themes we see in the future. Uh, I'll give you one other important theme for us, and that's climate change. So you can throw out the old models that uh, model flood insurance, wildfire, these type of uh, natural events that depend on, depend on climate conditions. So we think there's great opportunity for new entrants that have new ways of thinking about these types of risks. Not not necessarily that we want to be taking the wildfire risk, but we want to invest in companies that know how to analyze it, know how to uh, add value to, it, to the insurance companies that that do take the that do take the risk. Incumbency is not really an advantage if if the old models uh, don't or don't work anymore, right? So right, it's right. a real advantage for the for the startups, I think, in, in those types of areas. Right.
1: If your risk is evolving like with climate, right? then your underwriting has to evolve along with it. You can't, certainly you can't underwrite, I mean, we're here in California now, you can't underwrite here the way that you underwrote, you know, 40 years ago.
0: Exactly true. So just to mention a couple of our portfolio companies, the wildfire company is Delos that we've invested in, and in the flood uh, flood company is Rethought.
2: I, I would like to go back. You brought up Amazon, you brought up Google. Yeah. Do uh, you ever meet, Amazon, Meta, Google in the investment world of, of insure tech, are they investing? Are they actively investing in, in insure tech?
0: Not really. Maybe on the margins a little bit. Ring. Yeah. That's, Ring. that's, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a good example. Uh, uh, I, think, I think that's a good example. They're interested in maybe some of the cyber risks, but they'll be bread and butter, P and C, we don't really see them. I wonder why, because everyone assumes
2: that they're going to start selling insurance, right? Everyone assumes that Amazon is going to have a, a homeowner site and I can buy insurance through them. I mean, I, I just, I wonder why they're not, or is it, or is it a whole different angle? Just like you're talking about, they're looking at that connection between the two.
0: Yeah. I think it's regulatory issues, but I think those are, Mm. you know, those are hurdles that can be overcome over time. That's not going to keep them out forever. And you see that in other financial services, right? You see Apple is big into financial services now with, uh, you know. Oh, that's right. Paying with your phone, with your iPhone, for example. So we see it in other areas of fintech. We think it's going to come to insurance. It it might be easier a little bit to start in other countries where you don't have 50 state regulators like you do in the the U.S. But in in our longer term thinking, you know, we want to invest in companies that, won't get crushed by these companies that, you know, we want our startup to be able to work with the big tech companies and not be crushed by them.
1: I like to say, and tell me if you'd agree with this, that the companies that are making the tools right. for the other companies to use. Yeah. Right. Right. Th- that I think is a very intriguing 2.0 play right. is we're not looking to sell the insurance. We're looking to help you sell the insurance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. I know. I know you just had Dan from Socotra on. Yeah, uh, an Example, right? I mean, I, I think that these tools are very valuable uh, for the industry. What I would say is, there's not there's not going to be 20 successful companies in each uh, you know each vertical for these tools. So there are going to be leaders, you know, one or two or three companies that, that build these tools that get adop- adopted across the industry. A winner, a little bit more of a winner take all, as opposed to insurance distribution, which you know there's. There are many, many brokers agents that can be successful out there. Do you ever
1: w- end up working with private
0: equity? They call me every day to to you know they want to buy what we have, right? So uh, it's the exit. Just like we talked about, bolt was bought by a private equity company in asia it 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 happens it happens pretty frequently. One of our companies now in discussion with with private equity. the thing The thing about private equity, they are earnings focused because they want to lever the investment and in order to have leverage you, you need cash flow once a company is generating a decent amount of cash flow then the then the private equity guys really get interested to buy what we uh we have and uh so we really have three ways to exit our investments one is just strategic sale in the industry second is a financial buyer like private equity and the third would be ipo how many of them go to ipo how many have you had go to ipo you know we've made eight payments investments and five have been public companies, so it's a huge ratio there.
1: Yeah, congratulations.
0: Number of companies, maybe 20% of our companies, 25% go IPO, but in dollar amounts, the, that 20% is kind of more than half of all our sure. realized wow. gains. Yeah.
1: In the few minutes we have left, I want to touch on a couple more topics. I'd like to touch on crypto. Sure. We've had some various people on, Pascal Millar, others. I just find crypto so interesting because it's so complex. Right. right. It, I mean, I guess you could do parametric insurance for crypto, but, uh, but, anyways, it's how do you feel about crypto? I think you guys are in crypto. What are your thoughts there?
0: We certainly looked at a lot of investments on it, more applicable to our fintech side, crypto solutions for insure tech. We have not really seen many quality companies. I think there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to focus on it a little bit more. Our insurance company investors are generally you know, on the conservative side and they're not ready to dive into crypto solutions, even blockchain type solutions that, that don't have to do with uh, tokens. Um, they're still not. So they're, they're hesitant, but I think there's a real opportunity. I think there's opportunity on the loyalty reward side of insurance to use cryptocurrencies. Um, the business-to-business solutions, I, I, I'd say less so. Um, you can tokenize assets or tokenize insurance contracts. I, I think that's going to take a long time. Um, but there's some smart people working on it. But all in all, I, I would say insurance adoption of, of, of crypto solutions is, is is pretty small percentage of what we look at.
2: What about cyber? Is that is that on your radar right now? Yeah,
0: cyber is huge. We just made a cyber investment. We we led around in a prominent cyber company. I don't believe it's been announced yet. We we like cyber. The nice thing about cyber, uh, really, from our standpoint, is you really can't. If you're an insurer, you really can't take that much risk because the risks are all correlated. It's not like property insurance where. You know, a California earthquake has nothing to do with a Florida hurricane, right? Those are completely uncorrelated events, cyber, you could have a worldwide uh, event easily. Um, so you, if you're an insurer, you're just not going to take that much risk. It means that there have to be a lot of different players in the industry. There's not going to be anybody that dominates it. Um, you're going to need a lot of different brokers and distributors. You need a lot of data. Um, so we like cyber, but I have to say that the valuations of some of these, I mean, you might have seen coalition reported a $5 billion valuation. We don't believe in, you know, those types of valuations. We'll invest in companies that are worth 30, 40, $50 million valuations, not billions. Um, but, you know, in, in, with, with that caveat, we really, we really are bullish on the sector. I have one last question for you, and that's about
1: HOA, uh, Homeowners of America. Right. When I was on your website and I saw that you guys were in HOA, we yes. so uh, Lee and I work on the claims side. We work right. for Alacrity, we were service large yeah. service provider. And for several years we had HOA as a customer doing their claims work, right? I mean, just this little bitty right. insurance company that was in a lobby of a building. I mean, they were this little thing. How in the world did did an insure tech... VC. Right. Get, I mean, and, and with great success, yep. get involved with, with HOA.
0: Well, the, the answer is that our normal check size, 5 million, we were able to start an actual insurance company. The team came from us from, 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 you know, the experienced team and they said, Hey, we can execute this business plan for the check. You know, we might, our $5 million might buy 10% of a $50 million insured tech. Here, this five million could could own almost all, you know, except for the the equity the team had. Um, mm-hmm. Could own the whole company. And we said this is a great idea, and the team. I give Spence Tucker and the management team all the credit. They executed very well. As, you know, profitable company for many years. We reinvested the profits in the business, and it grew from nothing to four hundred million of premiums. Our five wow. million turned into a hundred when we sold it to Porch Group last year and it started tiny but i think it became the largest independent homeowners insurer in texas so we're really really proud of that that's amazing it 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 is a little bit more insurance than insure tech but you know it's the same you know startup type mentality that we have in all our companies yeah
1: but so your
0: company is willing to be opportunistic
1: you're, you're you know, not uh, you're not hard and fast. You saw a great opportunity. I mean, l- l- how much technology they were using right. was not necessarily the relevant question.
0: I think that's right. But you know, within our space, we're not. You know, we were going to stay within our lane of insurance and 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 financial services. We're not going to do anything outside of that. But within within those space, we do like to be opportunistic. So if Lee
1: and I start
0: an insurance company
1: <laughs> um, in in California, and
0: we could do it for five million dollars, we should call. I think you guys should. I mean. Claims is an interesting area. I know you guys know the Snapsheet guys well, right? I mean, it's oh, yeah. a, it's a nice. Uh, claims is a great area to be to be to do a startup, in. and we absolutely
1: cannot let you go without bringing up Snapsheet.
2: Yeah, we have um, to. We have to talk about you guys Snapsheet. are early,
1: well, no, not re- super yeah. super early, but relatively early to Snapshot. We are, a? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, A B round. We're uh-huh. and we're one of met. You know, they have a lot of yeah. investors. We're just one of several on the cap table. Um, uh-huh they've done a great job. Um, they are the leader, right. In, in, auto insurance claims bar none. It's, it's really nice to be invested in a category leader. And, uh, there's a little bit of the Chicago mafia. We have another company ClearCover, which is an auto yes. insurer in Chicago. And, yeah. and those two companies do business with each other. And, um, uh, you know, it's just a lot, a lot of synergies uh, between SnapSheet and our other investments.
1: Well, let us first say thank you very much. It's it's a not only a was great to have you on a great interview, but it's a it's a privilege and an honor to have on not only a, a longtime member of the ecosystem, but also a chess champion. Let's not <laughs> that's right. Yeah, let's not war. forget that. And next time, next time we have you on, we're coming to San Diego. Yeah, please, uh, please do. You your have never told us that because we're going to stay know. in your house and everything.
0: You guys are welcome anytime. Uh, Real pleasure to, to, to be on the show. I can, uh, can't wait to listen to your future episodes. You.
1: And, and just last thing, real yeah. quick. Shout out to Ali Savavi.
0: Oh, yes. yeah. Ali's, thank, Ali's, you, Ali. thank you, Ali. Ali's company's Kovu. He's doing really well. Okay, thank you. See you next time. All right. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: What a really nice, wonderful man.
2: He was very nice. It was great for him to be on. We got to talk all about some fascinating things today.
1: Great, I was, great I was stuff. very
2: happy to have. Not, have not to lunch.
1: mention chess. it's like a chess maven.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I the whole time I wanted to ask him if he ever goes to those parks, you know, like Washington uh-huh. Square when he's in New York uh-huh. and plays, but I, uh-huh. I didn't ask. I didn't ask. In my head, you know, we
1: need to do. We need to have the FNO InsureTech, um Chess Tournament.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: So Andrew will be on. Who else? Andrew, we're going to have to handicap Andrew. We're going to have to like cover yeah. one of his eyes or something or tie a hand behind his back.
2: Yeah, I would, I would play him, but I think he would beat me in about three moves.
1: <laughs> More than likely. And speaking of a few moves, we're going to move to the end of this podcast and thank uh, our producers and thank my co-host, Mr. Lee Boyd.
2: Thank you, Rob Beller.
1: And thank you all for being with us for another year, as we say... Uh, goodbye slowly to 2022 and uh, get ready for 2023. We thank you for being with us and for being the most important part of our ecosystem, of the FNO and ecosystem. And until next time.
2: bye, everybody.